0: Let's go ahead and get started and get back into our lesson and try to close it out today. Uh, We're on lesson 13, uh, lessons from Emmaus. Uh, Let's look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to sit before you. And Lord, we ask that you now quiet our spirits to allow the spirit to speak to us. And Lord, that the words that are spoken in class are not the words of the people speaking, but the words coming through the Spirit speaking. We thank you for how you teach us, how you encourage us, how you guide us. And Lord, we thank you for the calmness that you present, even in this setting. Lord, we know that where more than two are gathered, you are present. And we thank you for that as well, too. We pray for now, your the words to be spoken to be yours. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We are... At the bottom of page three, we had a great lesson last week where we were speaking about uh, the word companion, and we also, and we're we're back in luke chapter twenty four verses twenty eight through thirty. So if you want to turn to that as a guideline for the discussion and the root of the discussion, luke chapter twenty four verses twenty eight through thirty. And for, those of, for those who are, have not been here, this lesson is about how we are reminded of Jesus' presence in our lives and his presence is constant. And because of our fleshliness or because of who we are as human beings, how God made us and created us, we sometimes have these lapses in our thought process where we do not believe that Jesus is present because of circumstances that happen in our lives. And the circumstances that can make us feel like Jesus is not present are numerous. Some of the more striking ones are illness. Some of the, and I'm talking about not just getting a cold, but I'm talking about illness where something is really going on. Something where you, you have to go to a hospital or you have treatment or perhaps it's cancer or perhaps it's something where um, you feel like you're going through a long road and you're not getting anywhere. And sometimes it's emotional where you have circumstances in your life. If you're in, a, if you're in a life where all kinds of things are going wrong around you, with people that you get, come in contact with who are not supportive of you or not doing things to help you along, you may feel like you're being abandoned by God because God you know, teaches us that he is present and he does bring people into our lives to help us as well too. But if you feel like you're not receiving that, you would say, well, God is not with me. Well, we're here to obviously dispel that and say that those things are not true. In fact, God is always present and God has been present in all aspects of our lives, both large and small. One of the things that's really important for us to remember, too, is that God is in the details when it comes to your life. Amen. God is in the details. And, you know, some people may even have the attitude, well, this is too big for God to deal with. I'll deal with it on my own. No, actually, that's not true at all. Once you find a reason to take God and put him outside of your realm of thinking, you're basically now opening the door for him to not be involved in other aspects of your life. God is in all the details. He is in every large and small detail. So that's something that we want to keep in mind as we go forward with this study. We need to be reminded of this, and this is why we gather together as a church to do what? To remind each other of these very things, to uplift and encourage each other, to have fellowship with one another, as we mentioned earlier in this lesson as well, too. You know, it's a tough thing. This is something that when Lynn and I eventually retire, and when Lynn and I, and I say retire because it's it's not a retirement because we're going to be working wherever we are. It doesn't really make any difference. But when we go to South Carolina and we try to find a church, that's going to be a challenge because we're used to a certain way of teaching. We're used to a certain way of doing things. And, you know, as of right now, the only church that I know of that's even close by that may have a chance of doing anything is this church in York, South Carolina, where it's a CMA church, but... I'm not really that confident. <laughs> I have to see what's what comes out of that. Um they're, and they're a very they're smaller than we are. That's how small the church is. And and they had an episode too with a pastor who um, had to be removed because there was an issue there and they've got some guy as an elder to come and fill in and they made him a permanent pastor. But the church is really small and it it appears that they're following God's word and there appears that they're doing those things, but it's going to be a real challenge because we're spoiled. We're spoiled in a very good way. Trust me when I tell you, when you if you were to go out west, it's nothing like here when it comes to churches. They have a totally different style. And it's going to be a real challenge for all of us to make sure that we stay in the word, whatever we're doing or wherever we're going. That's the whole point of what I'm raising here. Stay in the word. Always be reminded that God is present. Always stay prayed up. Stay focused. And stay humble. Stay humble. Now, what we were trying to determine at the bottom of page three, when the disciples were approaching the village, Jesus made himself known to them. Let's go back over the passage real quick. Luke twenty four, verses twenty eight through thirty. Back at verse twenty eight. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. That's Jesus was but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Okay. And I'm going to read verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. This was one of Jesus's appearances that he made after the resurrection, where Jesus was able to do something that he wasn't presenting himself to do necessarily all the time, but he was able to appear and disappear. And in this case, he made himself known to who they were right at the point when they broke bread. And what led up to that was how Jesus was teaching those two people on the road, those two men on the road, through the way of what they were being recalling from what was happening from the events of the day. He was reminding them about what Jesus, what the teachings were, what the scriptures were saying, and reminding them about, frankly, what their true passion was and desire was to serve Jesus Christ. And what he was doing with this appearance was eliminating any confusion about what was taking place then. Remember, a lot of people were talking a lot of different stuff after the resurrection. You know, well, they stole his body. They did this. They did that. And the disciples were completely confused. They didn't know what was going on themselves, too. That's why, going back to what we said earlier, you have a responsibility to stave off confusion in your life by reading and studying Scripture and staying focused with that. Because there's all kinds of teachings out there that you have to be able to do what? Challenge and test and see that it's true. Acts 17:11 is a great verse as a remind go to Acts 17:11. Go to Acts 17:11. It's a reminder of what your responsibility is as a believer. If you want to be reminded about Jesus' presence in your life and his his being a constant presence. This is what a lot of believers should be doing but aren't doing. But this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. We live in Satan's domain. You need to be able to respond and challenge each other, like we're doing here, to stay focused on the word. Acts 17, 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Look at verse 12. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, that is an eye-opener because what it is telling you is that instead of putting the effort on every pastor that you come before or every church that you go to, that they're preaching the word, your challenge for understanding is to go back and read the scriptures yourself. Amen? That's why we've been emphasizing the two-year plan. The two-year plan, you can't fail on a two-year plan. A two-year plan gets you in the word for, even if it's a little bit of time, Because no one here is just sitting around on a couch all day long and, and eating cherries and bonbons. We have busy lives, don't we? Some of you retirees are busier than I am. And I don't understand that. I really don't. Pardon me? I don't have any bonbons for you. And if I did have some, I wouldn't give you one. Now, so anyway, now having said that, understand that we are all busy. So the challenge is going to be what? Finding the time to do your sweet spot of looking at Scripture. And everybody's sweet spot when it comes to time for Scripture is different. It's based upon where you are in your life. And sometimes, I have to, you know, lately I've had to do it at lunchtime at work because I don't, know any other, any, I don't have any other time to do it. But that's a good time to do it. It's a break time. It's a place where I can go and sit quietly somewhere and just sit and even play the, play the words, or, you know, like hit play, and it'll actually read the words that are on the passage or on the page. And that's really cool to do that too, and you can follow along. But you have to find your sweet spot. And look what it says in verse 12. Many of them therefore believed. And we're talking about a group of people who were not even part of the original Discussion of the gospel. It was first for the Jews, but we see that Greeks were involved. We see that now the entire population was taking the time to look at what the word says. You believe because you seek the Lord. You believe because you're doing the reading. You're doing the studying. You're doing the self-teaching, the instruction. No pastor can get a person saved. No Sunday school teacher can get a person saved. You have to seek the Lord. You have to seek the Lord for this greater understanding of His presence in your life and, and overcome those moments when things are not going well, when you feel like God is not here, where is He? Well, wait a minute, if you're teaching yourself about this and you go right to the Word, the Word will encourage you. Ever notice how every time sometimes when you open up the Bible or you're reminded about a certain scripture, that actually addresses the issue that you're dealing with? Do you think that's an accident? Absolutely not. This is the living word that we're studying. Okay. So, what Jesus was trying to do, we only can speculate. Let's go down to the bottom of the the handout on page 3, where it says, Perhaps Jesus pretended he was going further, So the disciples would have a chance to pursue a relationship with him. Perhaps it was simply good manners. A visitor would never invite himself into someone's home. We don't really know, but I wonder. Either way, I want to be the disciple who says, stay with us. Don't you? I want him to abide with me and share companionship. He will always be a gentleman and never force himself. He just draws near and gives us opportunity to respond. That's what Jesus does all the time. He makes himself available for you whenever you need him, whenever you call upon him. He is a companion. That's the word that we looked at earlier about being a companion. He calls us his friends. He has said that in scripture. So there really shouldn't be any long periods of time in your life where you feel like God is not with me. It shouldn't be happening. For those of us who've been in the Lord for a long time, that discussion should be further and further away. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Of course it does. Yes. Don't trust your feelings at that point. Trust. Don't trust your feelings. That's right. Trust the word. Exactly. Don't trust your feelings. That's it. You just I just you just gave me an earworm, but I'm not going to share it. It wouldn't be helpful, but it has to do with feelings. Your feelings are what you have to really search out and seek out and look at, and in some cases, control. Because sometimes your feelings take you away from reasoning. That's what you have to be very conscious of. Your feelings are always fighting with reason. And we have to be reasonable people. It doesn't mean we like what's happening. That's a feeling. Remember that. It doesn't mean we like it. It's not about liking something. Stuff is going to happen in your life that you're not going to like. That's life. Jesus says so himself. There are going to be troubles in the world. Well, if you, you want to like everything, guess what? You're going to get run over all the time. Because there's going to be troubles in the world. Everyone in this room knows exactly what I mean when I say there are troubles in the world. Either you've experienced them personally or your family's experienced them personally. Somebody you know has been in, in some sort of trouble or difficulty. And we scuffle from time to time. Professional athletes... Their challenge is preparation and being ready when it's time for the game to go on. And it's hard. Not everybody can play professional football. Not everybody can play professional baseball. You notice how you have all these kids who play in Little League and all these kids who play in in, um, high school baseball but never make it to college. Then you have these college kids, but not everybody who plays in college baseball is going to go become a professional baseball player because it's a grind it's hard it's a lot of work it's a lot of hustling it's a lot of staying in shape and your body can only take so much not everybody can do it it's not easy if it were easy everybody would be doing it well that's the same with you too it's not always easy But ultimately, when it comes down to it, we were just having a conversation about this in in the car today. There's a young woman who was complaining. My wife's in a class, and there's a young woman who was complaining about the artwork that she has to have turned in today as part of the class. And just to make a long story short, she was complaining and being hard on herself because she is an artist. She does the work, and she knows how to do it, but... Stuff was help preventing her from doing the best that she thought she could do. So she was critical about it and wrote about it online and said, I wish I could put more time into it, do some more development of the picture. But I've had a really hard work. You know, I do drawing at work normally. So the last thing I want to do is get on on the weekend and do another piece because I was tired and I was worn out. That's life. That's life. That's the life of an artist. That's the life of everybody in this room. If you know anything about it, sometimes stuff is going to work against you. It's not going to work for you. That's life. You do the best you can. But it doesn't change the fact that, guess what? If you have a deadline, you still got to get it done, you still have to figure out a way to get it done. You still have to do something to get that work done. And ultimately what it means is is you're going to have to rely upon what? Energy, strength, power, whatever it is that Jesus can provide. Because he knows exactly what you're going through, no matter how large or how small. And sometimes it's as simple as getting an art piece done for a class by a deadline and relying upon his inspiration and energy to get that done. Now, that may not sound like a very big deal, but guess what? It's a big deal in that person's life, and it's a big deal in a lot of people's lives, that God is giving that very energy that's needed to get something done. Okay, let's go to page four. We're just about done. Here's a question for you right at the top of page 4 on the handout. Why do you think Jesus as a guest assumed that role and served? He broke the bread. He was the invited guest to come in, but he broke the bread. Why do you think he did that? It is is it is it a tradition? It may have been a tradition. I don't I don't know for sure. The guest would break the bread? Okay. That's a fair comment. I don't remember that, but I, I I'll accept that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Maybe to get their attention. Maybe to get their attention. Okay. He was demonstrating that he's a servant. It's humbling. It's a it's a humbling thing to do. Absolutely. He was a servant. Go ahead. They don't know who he is at this point. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That was always his role was to be a servant leader. That's right. Correct. That's right. You've seen this before. Go ahead, Actually, you as a real person and not a ghost. Okay. Prove you as a real person, not a ghost. Not just an apparition. Okay. That's fair. And all of those answers are correct. But let's hone in on the key element of this. <clears throat> Jesus is a servant leader. A servant leader is showing you that he is always available for you at any time, at any place, at any moment when you need him. What's the opposite of a servant leader? The king, you have to go see if you want to make an appeal. You have to go and get out of your house, get out, go across wherever you have to go, certain number of miles, to go to wherever that castle is and go see the king and ask him something. You have to go out and do that. You don't have to do that with Jesus. He's a servant leader. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, praise the Lord. But he's a servant leader. He's demonstrating And he was reminding, Lynn is correct, he was reminding those two men of all the things that Jesus did, including feeding the 5,000 and feeding the multitudes of people. What did he have to do? Broke bread. Breaking of bread. Remember what that word companionship meant? What did it say? Companion. The word companion from the Latin word camponium consists of con meaning with and pan meaning bread. Breaking bread. There's no accident that Jesus has symbolism in what he's doing. He's actually giving you reinforcement of what it means to be a true companion, a true friend. How many of you have true friends in your life? People that you can call on if you need something and they will help you. And they won't make any excuses like, oh, I'm too busy. That's a rare thing. But it's a blessing if you have it because that's a true friend it's a person you certainly would break bread with a person you certainly would sit down with that's what that's who Jesus is that's what he represents so we need to understand that he is the one who is serving Jesus came to serve and not be not to be served go to Matthew 20:28 20, Matthew twenty twenty eight Jesus' entire mission on earth can be summed up with this verse. Look at what it says. And even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That sums up his life. That's what he was all about. Now, someone who has that as a life mission, because that's exactly what this is. Everybody has to have a mission about life, whatever it is that you do. You should have a way about going about your business, about how you do things, where you have a mission. You might have a, 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 a profession or whatever it is, but there still should be an underlying mission. The underlying mission, honestly, for all of us is to serve Jesus Christ in all his fullness. That's your underlying mission. That's what you do no matter what you're doing. That's what you're all about. That's what he was all about. The extra thing, though, is about giving his life as a ransom for many, which we can't do that. But we are grateful that he did that for us. That's servant leadership. He had to be the one that paid the sacrifice for us. Because he was sent to do that. That's what his mission was. This is God with us. He draws us near, interrupts our daily lives, initiates and serves us. I like that interruption part. Sometimes God does interrupt us in a very positive way. How does he do that? I, got, I, don't, I don't want you to get hung up on the word too much, but how does God interrupt us? In such a way where he is truly helping us along. What does he do? It's not a trick question. Who does he give to us to help us along day by day? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So he interrupts us when we are not doing what we should be doing, and the Spirit says, What are you doing? That's an interruption. It's a reminder to stay focused on him. That's what we need to understand. He does interrupt us, but he also initiates us. He drives us, but he's still a servant leader. He still wants you to go out into the world and preach the gospel. He reminds us what? I'll always be with you. So no matter where you go, whether you're living in Ohio or in Colorado or in South Carolina or Virginia or wherever, wherever you might live, he's always going to be with you. That's what scripture teaches us. That's why we need to keep studying it. That's why we need to have these constant reminders of it. Let's go back to Luke 24 once again. Luke twenty four thirty one. We did read this, but it's a reminder. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Their eyes were opened. Now, remember, they were not able to recognize Jesus until that very moment. Even after all the talk back and forth about scripture and teachings and all that. But Jesus allowed them at that moment to have him be recognized. And then he disappeared from sight. Think of the moment when you, as a person, as a believer, when your eyes were opened. When Jesus revealed himself to you. When you read stuff like this, it's very easy to go past it and say, ah, okay, he he was made himself. But what it's trying to do is teach you something. Jesus is the one who is in control of how you learn, what you see, how you experience it, how you take it in, how you digest it, When you're reading his living word, he is giving you this information for you to take it all in. But he has to be the one to reveal it to you. He has to be. Because you in your human capacity do not have the capability of recognizing, teaching without the spirit. Amen? Understand that. That's not sacrilegious. That's just the reality of it. But what was the effect? Look at verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now remember, this was before Jesus was recognized. The only one who can make you burn in your heart with the desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, is Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit. Because you were le- learning about scriptures, you're learning about the living word. We sometimes minimize the role of the Bible. This is the living word that was given to us by God himself. As a reminder of his goodness, of His grace, of His mercy, of His teaching, of prophecy, of truth. These are all reminders. The living Word. Do you need a verse 31 moment? Do you need your eyes open to the very present God in your midst? If so, stop right now and ask Him to do that for you. You may want to write your prayer so you can remember it later. Now, you don't have to do that today, but everybody has a handout, and you're welcome to do that at any moment. And understand something, too, about writing down prayers. This is very important. You will do a better job in the development of your prayer life if you start writing some prayers down. Why is that? Because the neat thing about pencils is they have erasers. Pens, not so much. You wind up scratching stuff out. But write them down. Because what you need to be able to do is articulate, even to yourself, what's important. And what you should be praying for. Now we have a routine of prayer that we do every day. And we basically recount... And recall the important people in our lives. And it centers around our family and the church. And the people of the church. Now that's a regular routine that we have. Uh, you know, you don't have to do it because I said so. But if you're really thinking about it, what's the most important thing going on in your life? Usually your family and your church. And, prayer, and maybe even a place where you work. It's whatever you come in contact with. So that should be part of your regular routine of prayer. Prayer. If you're truly seeking the Lord and seeking his goodness in all aspects of your life, include all aspects of your life. We are past the point where we do selfish prayers. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Lord, I'll feel much better with a million dollars in the bank. Well, who wouldn't? But that's not what you should be praying for all the time. (laughs) Big Jim starts. I I can't look at him. (laughs) He'll start laughing. I'll start laughing. You understand my point. There are a lot of people who are immature in the faith, where they believe if you do this, God will send you prosperity. That's immature, it's not biblical. You as a mature believer, a mature Christian, a mature servant of the living God, will certainly pray for yourself on occasion, but the vast majority of your prayers will be for other people, other circumstances, other situations. Because if you're a servant, that's what you want. You want to see other people succeed. You want to see other people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's how you develop maturity in your prayer. And that means you write them down. Because sometimes you need a reminder. You know, I forget sometimes what I did yesterday. Because that's how life is sometimes. Everything I do is not always going to be kept up here so you have to write stuff down if there's something that God is putting in your heart to do do it there's a reason why he's putting it in your heart there's a reason why he's giving you this to latch on to Emmaus teaches us that God is there when we don't expect him he is there and we don't often recognize him He is there when two or three are gathered gathered in his name. And he is there when we commune, breaking bread together. When you sit down and break bread, what's the first thing you typically do? You bless the food. You say grace. You say grace. Now, that can be viewed as traditional. But we've learned now that this whole thing about breaking bread has so much more significance. Breaking bread means that, first of all, you're blessed to be able to do it. You're blessed to be able to have a meal. You're blessed to be able to sit down and enjoy food. Because if you're reminded, not everybody has that as a regular routine. So you're blessed because you're able to do it. You're blessed because you have the health to be able to sit and do it you're blessed to be able to have all these provisions or things that you have in your life. It's a reminder that you are blessed. So the response would be, praise God and thank you for this meal. Amen? I'm not trying to tell you how to think, but I am trying to give you an idea of why this whole thing about companionship, fellowship is very important. You know, Roger and Barb come in. It's like they had never left. <laughs> and they did. What she say? they haven't? <laughs> well, they've been living in Colorado, but it's like they never left. Everybody knows who they are. That's the beauty of what we do. That we can get together as a group And have this time of fellowship while we're learning about how Jesus is so good to us. That's important for us to remember. Are there any questions about this? Comments? Nothing? We have like two minutes left in the class. Should I do it? Pass out the other lesson? Yeah, we go. Yeah, we can do it. Mr. Wells. Pass those out. Hang on to your lesson. And you can even give one to give one to Roger and Barb too because they'll If you need more here, I got more. Sorry. Here you go. We have a lesson 14. And I think it would be appropriate to start with the first part of it just to get us thinking about it a little bit. Lesson 14, God knows your name. Here we go. He knows you guys are waiting too, and I know he wants to help out. Okay, all right. He has to do it. You're right. Absolutely right. Okay, so now... (laughs) God Knows Your Name. Now, when you look at this title, God Knows Your Name, what seminar did we have earlier this year? His name is wonderful. So this is kind of a reminder and a reinforcement of what we had talked about during our seminar in April. And in a way, but not quite. It's, it's actually a little bit more of a, a different spin on it but it is appropriate for us to understand that God does indeed know your name. He knows exactly who you are. He should know who you are because he had an idea of who you were before you were even conceived. Amen? 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 Amen. He had an idea of who you were already before you were conceived. And that's something that we, are, we, we should be reminded of at all times. When we think God is not near us or not with us, We're just basically allowing Satan to get us down. He absolutely knows who you are. Remember how we said down to the finest details? He knows who you are. He knows your personality because what? He gave it to you. He knows all about your habits, your tendencies, the things that you like to do, the things you don't like to do. He knows all about that stuff. Okay, I think enough people have the handout now. We can look at what it says here. Look at the top of the handout. I want you to see this. This is Jennifer Rothschild. She is basically giving us information about a, an email that she received. It was sent Wednesday, October 5th, 2011, 5-11 in the morning. Hi, Jennifer. I am not sure you will receive this message, MSG. You addressing, me, addressing each message with my name makes me feel so warm, and I truly feel that you indeed know me. I love reading your message and visit your website. Indeed, very encouraging, Betsy. Now, let's look at this. I received Betsy's email while studying about God's omniscience. Betsy's words struck me. They didn't strike me just because of the amount of abbreviations. Welcome to the new grammatically bankrupt millennium. (laughs) I have a comment about that, though. But because such a small gesture as using her name made such a big impact, the fact that I addressed her monthly email newsletter personally made her feel like I knew her. Now, here's where I jump in. A tip for all present and future disciples. Do not criticize the writing style of anyone is communicating with you by email or text, do not criticize it. I don't care what it's about. Well, if you can't read it, that's different, but you can't criticize it. Hold your, hold your question. I want to finish my point. Understand something. If you don't understand something, just ask. It's not a big deal. Well, that's on the handout. I've got it right here. You know why you don't criticize it? Simply because it can stifle or hinder a possible testimony. If you are so hung up on making sure that people are coming to Christ, why are you going to get in the way with it with something stupid like criticizing grammar or whatever it is? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a wordsmith. I'm big on grammar and punctuation. I'm like... That's me. That's, that's been me since I was a young person. So when I read something like this, I, yeah, my, I start to itch a little bit and you know start scratching because I don't like it, but that's not the point. The point is, is that that's how they communicate. That's their writing style. That's how they're expressing themselves. And in this generation of people who are texting, when it's easier to do message with MSG than it is to spell out the whole word. It's faster. But that's how... It's shorthand. Thank you. It's shorthand. That's exactly what it is today. So you don't criticize it. If you don't understand it, just ask, what did you mean? Never mind that they might say, you don't understand what that means? Doesn't matter. You ask anyway. When it comes... I know we have to end. When it comes to reaching people for Jesus, don't sweat the small stuff especially this learn to become text literate because ultimately what you need to do is just learn a little bit more about being text literate cuz idk imo brb and k i just put some examples of ways to do it cuz is just cuz because as in because okay idk is i don't know IMO is In My Opinion, BRB is Be Right Back, and a lot of people use K because OK isn't enough anymore, just say K. But that is such a small thing, but it's a big deal when it comes to discipleship. If you're talking about reaching younger people, you better be literate with this stuff. And if you don't know, just ask. That was the point I wanted to make. Okay, everybody get that? Yeah. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there is one. I'm, I'm sure you could look them up. I'm talking about my daughter. Call, call me. Oh, now that's okay. That's a little different. Okay, we have to close out. So we'll pick up with this next week, and talk about this woman's letter, and talk about what this represents. Okay. If you have any questions about what we just talked about, please ask. Amen? Father, thank you for this time you've given us to sit quietly and listen to you speak. We thank you for the reminders of what it is to be a servant leader and what it is to be a servant and how we can serve others. And we are reminded of your constant presence each day. Lord, lift us up, encourage us as we go forward. Help us along with those things that are sometimes small things that we get caught up in Help us to be reminded not to sweat the small stuff, but to focus on you. And we thank you for how you encourage us in each way, in each of these ways. We pray now for the upcoming message in the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.